As far as the sermon goes this morning, things are going to be handled a little bit different this morning. Of course, you know how it goes. I never know till the last minute sometimes exactly what I'm going to preach. But I have been in the Bible now for about two weeks solid and in every other book I could get my hands on to try to show me the details of this two-thirds of a day and in a weekend that this thing of the crucifixion involves. I have heard I don't know how many crucifixion services, resurrection services, and I've learned it for my own self that I hear key words that are said over and over and over again every resurrection day, and we develop a picture in our mind of just what it's all about. But there is so much of this story that we've heard so many times, but then I learned in the last two weeks that there's so much of it that we had never heard at all. And God moved me to tell us about what Paul Harvey used to call the rest of the story. The setting that this thing took place in. Because you see, the thing I realized after doing all this study, that what we as Christians normally see is this little bitty thing that happened that involves us. This thing about Jesus Christ. But to the world of that day, the most part, it wasn't about Jesus. If it had happened today, it wouldn't even make the Washington Post that he happened to die that day because it was all done in secret. And I didn't realize that until a few years before that I learned how did all those people throw down palm fronds to allow him to come into Jerusalem the week before, just on Sunday, before the Thursday, and now they're hollering crucify. What happened? Well, it wasn't the same group of people I found out. And then I started getting really curious about just how all that come about and found out that I didn't know much about that day at all. And I was supposed to. So I'd like to lay... The, 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 the happenings of that day to you so that when you hear all this other that I've always heard, you will understand exactly how it happened and why it happened. Because this thing of the death of Jesus Christ was a political assassination. There are two or three other things I had to learn that at the time of Jesus' death, there was no such thing as a church. He introduced the church in the 16th chapter of Matthew and said, when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But it didn't come about to 50 days after he died at Pentecost when Peter preached and 3,000 were saved. That was the first day of what we call the church, which we belong to now the group of total Christians in the world is what he referred to as the church. But in that day, there was no such thing as a Christian 
unless you want to call Jesus one. He's the only one that knew. And as we go through this thing, I think I'll be able to show you how that even his disciples weren't Christians at this point. He told Peter the night of the Last Supper, the night that they came and arrested him and crucified him the next day, Peter, when thou art converted, so Peter was not a Christian the night of the Last Supper, and none of the others were either. So that astounds some people based on what they know about what went on that day, and I hope to show you some other things. But as now, in that day, there was a war going on between God and his people and Satan and his people. And Jesus got caught up in that, in the middle of that. God had a plan. He's always had a plan, and he's got a plan now. And I hope you see in this that when it's all said and done, it's always his plan that works. <laughs> the plans of men don't work, but they've always got another plan. Regardless of what we can watch news today and see that our government is full of people who do not recognize Jesus Christ at all. They do not recognize our God and they're trying to do things for themselves in such a way that they don't know that what they do actually goes against what God's plan happens to be. God's plan said that Jesus at a point in time would come to earth as a human being and it says in the second chapter of Hebrews, in all things just like us. A lot of people think that Jesus, he was growing up, did miracles in the sandbox. Jesus never did a miracle until after he was baptized. His first miracle was turning the water into wine. So Jesus didn't have his God side as he grew up. Only after he started his ministry. And when he started his ministry, the first thing that happened, he went to John at the Jordan and was baptized to show us how he wanted it done. The second thing he did was to be whisked off into the wilderness where Satan kept him there for 40 days without anything to eat or drink much and then tempted him. And he showed us at that point how to deal with Satan. Just say no. That's all he had to do. Jesus preached salvation through believing in him and what he did. But you see, and this is something I never thought about, we don't have anything to believe to bring about salvation until he was already resurrected. So the story that people pass to each other so that others can believe and become Christians is a story that wasn't completed until after he had already been crucified, was dead for three days, and, a, and was resurrected. And so to tell the story that we use to bring others to Jesus. 
And the resurrection is the one thing, and it was the last thing that happened in this series of events, and it's the one thing that we as Christians have got to believe to be Christians. We've got to believe in the resurrection. The rest of the stuff, maybe, you don't, you don't have confidence about, but the fact that Jesus was rose again by God's plan when he was in no shape to do anything himself, because he's dead. And we, didn't, we don't often see that. But he preached that if you believe my story, what happened to me, you will be forgiven of your sins. And you need, Jesus started out preaching, repent, change your mind, and get your mind off of the world. I read last week where the 12th chapter of Romans said, quit becoming like the world. He assumed that we were doing it already. That every day we live, we got a little bit more like the world and a little bit less like Jesus Christ. And let this mind be in you that was also in Jesus Christ and think like Jesus. I wasn't brought up to believe that I could be like Jesus. Nobody ever told me that until I got old enough and big enough to study the Word and find out that He's our example. That's the reason God sent Him. God's plan had Jesus die after He had been ridiculed. Reputation was totally ruined in front of a few people. And He suffered the one thing I learned in these days is to the degree that he suffered. Shed his blood for our sins. All of it done in a very, very human way. Jesus was a son of God but he died like you and I would die. The very same way. The things that would have killed us, killed Jesus. Jesus introduced us after he came to himself and what he had to offer. He showed us a side of his father God, that was something we didn't understand until he came and explained it because he was just like the Father, he said. You see me, you've seen the Father. He introduced us to the Holy Spirit, that thing, that part of God that lives in us now 24 hours, seven days a week to guide us and to teach us and to make us aware of every single thing Jesus ever said. And he said, whosoever believed these things would be saved. In government today, the same thing is going on. We've got this group of Christians in the world who are doing the things as they know them to be obedient to Christ. And then we've got everybody else who could care less and they've got their own agendas, and they're trying mostly to either 
get power or money. And if you get money, you got power. So that is the whole deal, to try to be as powerful and as rich as you can. And some people, I think, get into politics solely for that reason. God's still got a plan, but there's a lot of people that want something else. And they'll do anything. I think we've learned in the last few couple, three years on our news channels, they'll do anything to get it. And that's what happened at the time of Jesus. At the time of Jesus, Palestine, Jerusalem, that part of the country, was occupied by Rome. Rome had defeated the country. They had their rulers set up in Jerusalem. And the Jews, Jewish leaders in the church, could control the church. But in but the, the, the people, the people of the streets were governed by Rome. And his governor there in that city was a man called Pilate. He was the governor of the area. And then they had the high priest, Annas. And he didn't have much to do with anything of the church. He sat in the background and whispered to his son-in-law, Caiaphas, to tell him how to get their business done. And so that is the situation there that we have that when Jesus walked into this, this thing, it was a war between, a political war between Caiaphas, the chief priest, and Pilate, the governor of the area. And they were trying to see who could ridicule each other and do away with each other if there's any way they could. Now there was a law that Jews had power to rule over other Jews and over the church. But the one thing they could not do was terminate a criminal. The Jews had no power given to them by Rome to kill a man for being a criminal. So those that wanted Jesus dead, and I think it was pretty much all of them, knew they couldn't kill him. They had to get the Romans to kill him. And therein lies some of this plot. If we see it, I see it on my TV in, in, in Washington and in state governments where the law says that this one can't do with this one because of this or that or the other. So they try to worm around and get it done without going straight to it. The temple leaders were concerned because so many people had seen Jesus do the miracles, bring people back to life. He had fed thousands out of a little basket. He was doing miracles right and left. And they knew that there was something different about him. But see, there's one thing that we've got to take into account. There was a rumor among Jews, and it had filtered out into the everyday population, 
that one day God would send a Messiah that would save the Jewish race and they thought that the Messiah would come in and take over Jerusalem, run the Romans out, and let the Jews run their own business. They had no clue of who it would be because Jesus didn't act like that at all. And there's another factor. Because of that, and whoever was the Messiah would have a lot of power, there were over 200 men that had come in over the years before Jesus to try to convince everybody they were the Messiah. So it wasn't just he was the only one, whether you believed him or not. There was at least 201 of them. So a lot of people were confused. It was hard for him to be convinced that he had to be the one, even though with all he was doing. But at the time, Jerusalem was full of people from all the surrounding country coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. The streets were full of people. The temple was full of people. And whatever the Jews did with Jesus, they had to do it in such a way that those people couldn't, under, couldn't, couldn't know about it because they were afraid if the people found out that they tried to kill Jesus, the people would stone the leaders of the church. They'd kill them. There was another issue that if Jesus took another a group of a big enough group of people away from the Jewish temple that Rome would no longer allow the leaders of the temple to run the government of that country. They would come in, take the temple away from them, take them out of their offices, and they would have no more power. So they were afraid for that. It was a political thing. It was all about politics. The multitude had seen the miracles. They'd even put palms down in the road, like I said the Sunday before, to welcome Jesus. They cried Hosanna and Hallelujah to welcome him into the city on that little donkey. Now, where were those people now? They were still in town. They were scattered all over. The streets were full of them. The multitudes had to be avoided. If the leaders of the church, or not the church, but the temple, because there was no church, if they were going to accomplish what they wanted to do and kill Jesus, they were going to have to avoid the crowd. They would have to do it all in secret. So the story starts at 3 o'clock in the morning on Friday, Good Friday. That's when Jesus and the disciples were in the garden and the group of temple priests, temple guards, and a detachment of Roman soldiers that were assigned to them when they told them they were going to arrest a man who was trying to overthrow the country, they sent them with them to keep down any kind of trouble. And that's who came to meet Jesus three o'clock in the morning in the garden and they arrested him. And the first thing they did was take him to the temple and they called the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of 70 people to make decisions about the church. They got everybody up, got them into the meeting room, and they started putting witnesses before the group 
to try to prove that Jesus was doing illegal things, criminal things. And I think it's a thing of God because they said they could not get two witnesses to agree with each other. So they could have no trial with him. They finally got Jesus to say that he was the Son of God. And the only crime they could get him on was blasphemy, which was a church crime. It wasn't a civil crime. It wasn't against the law to say those things out in the community just to the people of the church. So then they carried him to the governor, Pilate, and they put their case before him that the church had found him to be a criminal because he was guilty of blasphemy. Rome did not have a law against blasphemy. So they said, so what's the big deal? And the church leaders were getting more frustrated by the moment. And Pilate felt no pressure at all at that point because what they had brought against the man was not a crime. So he didn't have to make a judgment call on it. There were no formal charges brought against Jesus at the Sanhedrin trial. Beside that, it was against the law because the Romans and the Jews had laws on the books that nobody could be tried at night. And they held the trial while it was still dark. There was another law on the books in that day that no sentencing could be done the same day that the man was convicted. So here it is, 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, on Friday morning, the Sanhedrin has found him guilty of blasphemy, but then when it comes, they carried him to Pilate, the Rome, to, 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 to sentence him and to determine what they were going to do with him. And they weren't supposed to do that on the same day that they had found him guilty. So his whole trial had no legal precedence whatsoever. It was a mockery. I've seen on my TV things that they're doing in Washington that has no precedence. People are doing all kind of things, breaking all kind of laws to try to do away with each other so they will be able to come out ahead and they appear to get by with it. Well, they got by with it that day too. Pilate found no fault with Jesus. He couldn't find anybody to be a witness against him. So he said, he found out that Jesus was from, was from Galilee, and so he sent him to Herod, who was the Jewish governor of Galilee. I'll let him handle it. He's one of his followers. I'll let him handle it. Well, they carried Jesus out, carried him to Herod. Herod observed him, had, had, had his trial, had another trial, and he couldn't find anything wrong with him either. So Herod sent him back to Pilate. 
Now they're doing all this stuff with a crowd of soldiers and whatever. They're trying to keep Jesus covered up where the people on the side of the street can't see. And on the way from Herod's trial back to Pilate in the trial hall there where Pilate was, the chief priest had an idea. If we're going to kill Jesus and we've got to get the Romans to do it, the only thing looks like after he's found no fault in him that we can use to get Pilate to kill him is public opinion. So we got a situation. Tiberius Caesar, who was the king of Rome, had placed Pilate in that position in Jerusalem with the idea that he would keep the citizens of that country in their place. There would be no insurrections. There would be no riots. And so the chief priest, as they went back to Pilate, they walked the street back to Pilate, they all got their heads together and decided, this is what we'll use. We'll have people go to the temple and get every employee we've got and bring them out here and have them meet us at Pilate's and tell them that on a signal they will be shouting to Pilate, crucify Jesus and turn Barabbas loose. So it was that small crowd of all employees of the temple, the guards at the temple, of the tribe of Levi and the chief priest that were there in that group when they brought Jesus back before Pilate. But they had a surprise coming and nobody knew about it. Barabbas was not a common criminal. He wasn't a thug. He was a very prominent man who had tried to overthrow Rome in Jerusalem. And he had almost done it. And they had put him in prison because in the insurrection, the riot, a man was killed. So they charged him with murder. So he was in prison for that. Well, his political group chose that moment to come to Pilate to ask him to turn him loose. So here was the group that cried, crucify him and give us Barabbas. It was the chief priest of the temple, the employees of the temple who were under the orders of the chief priest. And it was this crowd of politicos that were rebellious against Rome who were there to try to get Barabbas turned loose. That was the group that shouted, it wasn't the common people. It wasn't all the people that, that last week put from, palm fronds down in front of it. They didn't even know what was going on. They said as Jesus was moved back and forth at that point, he had a clownish robe on him that the soldiers had found because he, they said he claimed to be king. And he had that crown of thorns on. Now every building had a pile of thorns over in the corner. They started fires with them. Thorns were all over Jerusalem. And they, some of the soldiers just took the, the thorns in the corner of the start fires and made a crown for him, and they put it on his head and mashed it down. Well, there was blood streaming on top of his head all over him. The soldiers had hit him in the face till he was black and blue. And another issue had come about. There was something called scourging that the Romans did to punish men. 
Pilate had already figured out he wasn't going to kill Jesus because he didn't have any reason to kill him. So he ordered him scourged, thinking that if they see him being scourged, they'll be satisfied and let us let him live. There was a man who had a title who did the scourging. It was a stick with leather strips on it, with steel and bone on the end of those leather strips. And they had another person who was a public official who watched him give a man every lick and make sure that they didn't kill him with scourge because it was commonly known as the halfway death. They, if they didn't, wasn't going to put a man to death, they beat him with a scourge and the man had to check after every lick to make sure that the man wasn't dying. Well, they got Jesus close to death with the scourge. They had taken off all his clothes and chained him down over a three-foot post to take the whip. They unchained him and they let him up and they put his clothes back on him. That's when the soldiers put that old red-looking robe, old cheap robe, they said a king would have never worn it. And Jesus was near death. They said if the people had seen him, they wouldn't have recognized who he was based on what they had seen the week before. So on signal, the group of people at Pilate's Hall started screaming, let Barabbas go and crucify Jesus. Pilate's wife had told him, I have had several dreams about this man and don't you get involved with him because bad things will happen to you if you do anything to him. So Pilate didn't want, wanted nothing to do with killing Jesus. But he finally got so aggravated when they convinced him that the people, and he thought the people in front of him shouting, were part of a cross example of the town, that we will see that word gets to Rome that you can't handle your job as governor here. And Pilate knew that as suspicious as Tiberius Caesar, the king of Rome was, that he would believe if prominent men like the temple chief priest were to send word to him that that was happening, he believed that, that Tiberius Caesar would believe it and take him out of his position as governor of Rome. I mean of Jerusalem. So for those reasons, fear caused him to order a pot of water brought to him. He washed his hands. He said, I wash my hands of this man. I can find no fault. And he called Jesus a just man. Then he called the Roman executioner who handled Roman cross killings because the cross was the way Rome killed prisoners, criminals, not the Jews. So he called him and told him, there's the chief priest, you do what they tell you to do. I'm no longer responsible for any of it. And he left the scene. That's when
the people who were there at the court carried Jesus to the cross. Something I didn't realize, Pilate's Hall was close to the west gate of Jerusalem. It wasn't but 3,000 feet from where they were in the courtroom to Golgotha where the three crosses were still there. Now crucifixion by Roman law was done this way. The post, the upright post, they were six feet out of the ground. They were still there at Golgotha on the side of that hill. There was a big black rock right in front of those crosses. And those posts were there permanently. The top of the post was pointed and the tree, they called it, that cross piece that goes across that his arms were nailed to was a three by five that was six feet long. And it had a hole board in it to where you could set it on top of that six foot post that was already there. The cross was a T. The cross wasn't like the things we wear around our neck today. It was a T. There was an official way to do it. There were four soldiers assigned to the executioner by Roman law and they marched Jesus back down to Golgotha to be crucified. And when they handed each one, they, they got the, the two thieves out of the prison and they handed each one of them that cross piece called the tree. And Jesus couldn't make enough steps with his and they had to call a man out of the audience on the side of the road, a man called Simon a man of Cyrene, to carry Jesus' tree for him. He wasn't strong enough to carry it. It was only 3,000 feet to the cross, so they didn't have far to go. And it was right on the edge of town. And they kept such a crowd around Jesus that nobody on the side of the street could see him. They carried him out there to the place. They laid the tree down they pushed him down on top of it. He fell back, and that crown that was on his head went further, those thorns went further in his head. And they nailed him, not his hands, but his wrist right there. That deep place on his wrist is what held the two nails. They nailed him to that, to that cross piece. Then two soldiers on each end got the cross piece. They could lift it up high enough, six feet, with two of them, with one man hanging on it to put the cross piece on that pointed end of the post. And that's the way it was done. Then they took the prisoner's feet and they picked them up because the post was only six foot tall. They picked up his feet and bent his knees so that they could cross his feet and use one nail to drive through them on the bottom. When he was sagging on the cross, his arms formed a V, like this. But he couldn't breathe in that position. So to get a breath, he had to push up with his feet on those nails that were through his feet. And get him, gasp him a breath, and then sag back down. Jesus died of asphyxiation. He died because he couldn't breathe. They checked him. His 
They, they stuck him with a javelin and proved him to be dead because of what came out of that hole in his side. They put the thieves on either side of him, and that's the way they killed our Lord and Savior on a cross. To everybody but those involved, this thing was a political assassination. It was the, 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 the priest of the temple contending with the local civil law, the Romans, for a man they said was causing trouble. The Romans didn't believe it. At this point, to all but a very few, this event had not much spirituality. Think about what I learned. There was only four supporters of Jesus at the cross. I didn't know that. John was an older teenage boy. And he was there to look after Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Mary's sister and Mary Magdalene. There were three Marys and John was the only people there who had any sympathy for Jesus. The rest of them were enemies of Christ. And most of the people, the common people who were there saw what was going on, had no clue of what was actually happening. But God had a plan. And His plan was stronger than their plan. God's plan worked. The chief priest and the Romans' plan did not work. And Jesus was brought back to life on the third day. I think it's important to know that the Jews and today I understand still that away, call no one dead until they've been dead three days. That was the reason for his three days of death. I guess some people had been in a coma and came back to life, and so they waited till someone was dead for three days before they declared him dead. Jesus was resurrected and came back and walked on this earth for 40 days to start something called the church that until he came had never been heard of. The church, which has made all the difference to millions of people, those who believed the gospel story and became Christians. But you see, they had to have a complete story to tell people to believe in order to be a Christian. And the complete story was that Jesus came back to life. He wasn't dead. They said that Jesus had told Mary, don't get too upset when you see me dead because this is not the end. This is the beginning. And they said John was trying to convince her of that. People told this story 
of this space between 3 o'clock in the morning and they had to take him down that afternoon because you see the Sabbath, Friday night at 6 o'clock, the, the Sabbath started. The law was you couldn't leave a crucified man on the cross after the Sabbath started. So they had to get him down, prepare him, and get him in a tomb before 6 o'clock on Friday afternoon. So all of this took from 3 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night. All of this is to take up all these scriptures was less than a full day. And then two days later, three days later, he was resurrected. And even at the tomb, John and Peter and Mary and Martha didn't believe he was alive. They didn't believe the story was going on. But they came to John was the first one that was born again. When he looked in the tomb and saw the wrappings of Jesus' head, he believed. Peter came and looked and left and didn't believe. I did not know that there were no Christians in the world the day that Jesus was crucified. I didn't know that. And I'm sure some of you don't know either. They had a belief but their belief wasn't consummated because Jesus had not risen yet. People told this complete story after Pentecost, 50 days later from Passover, and people hearing the whole story believed in the story, which is called now the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they became believers, and they became saved, what we call today Christians. This is a very, very simple story. We see it from the aspect of the Bible, from our aspect, from all the things that Jesus said and all the records that they've got written of him and all the things that he did, and we know it's a big deal to us, but to so many people it wasn't easy. Wasn't any deal at all. It says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 3, listen to this. Paul says, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his craftiness, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. If you get right down to what people actually knew that day, not by what they got out of the Bible that was written over 200 years later. That day, it was a very simple story. A man who had nothing was killed on a cross, a Roman cross, by the Romans because of what the head of the church, not the church, the temple church, because the head of the religious system of that day done away with the Savior of the world. It's a simple story. Not very fancy. We have taken it in 2,000 years, have changed it into all kinds of things, even a different name, a pagan name called Easter. 
We change everything. Essentially, natural man messes up everything he touches. And the only thing we've got to go on is what it said right here. And we've got to be very careful that we don't, our mind doesn't change things. And this is the way it is. Very simple story. The story is, is, is the gospel. People heard it and believed. And it became, they became the church. That is the story. The details of what we can learn through Scripture about what happened on a spiritual basis in the Word. I think about Jesus when they came to get him in the garden. He said, why are you bringing clubs and swords? I've been in your church preaching to you for weeks and you weren't afraid of me. Why do you think to get me you have to come with swords? And then Peter pulled the sword and cut the, the, the priest's ear off and Jesus had to put it back on. There are so many. I mean, I could stand and talk for days on what was actual facts in our scriptures about the death of Jesus. But that right there is the truth, simply put, of what happened that day. The rest has happened since Jesus came back, since Peter preached to start the church, and people started being saved. And we are today what we are. And Jesus prayed for us in his prayer back to his Father in the 17th chapter of John. I not only pray for these men who I taught, but for whoever they might teach and whoever might hear the gospel for the ages to come. So Jesus even preached and prayed for us today, 2,000 years down the road, because we've heard the story and we believed it. And that's what it's all about. Hearing the story and believing. Jesus did that like he did everything else in a very simple way. And we need to keep that in mind as we think about all these things that we have, as people have added to this celebration of the death of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this story. I thank you for these details. I thank you for this information that we might understand what actually happened that day and how it was Satan in the minds of common men that did all this dirt to the cause of Christ and to God's plan. Lord, make us realize that God's still got a plan. And when we turn our TVs on and see all these people working against the cause of God and the cause of Christ in our country and all over the world, we know that your plan is going to be the one that works when it's all over. And let us have confidence in that that we might hope that what you have promised us is actually going to come to pass. We thank you, Lord, for being as powerful and exercising your power that you do over the common man who, when taken by Satan, can be as evil as Satan himself. So we thank you for all of this, Lord. We thank you for this day that we can...
can, can remember what happened that day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.